You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Isaiah. The series is entitled, Living in the Shadow of the Great King. Living in the Shadow of the Great King. And uh, this morning's message is, Salvation's Song. Salvation's Song. So, let me ask you a question. Do you have a favorite song? Now, I will confess to you, I did not grow up as a music guy. I grew up as a sports radio guy. Nothing has changed much since. But there are a few songs that when I'm down, when I need a little pick-me-up, I will find myself singing. And, and it's funny. I don't know if you've experienced this, but when I start singing a song, let's say at home, uh, it's an ugly thing because I don't sing very well, but I'm singing a song. Maybe I'm humming it. About 10 minutes later or 20 minutes later, my wife will walk by and she's humming the same song. Sometimes she goes, I can't believe I'm humming the same song that you were singing. Well, today's message is about singing a song so that others sing with us. Because, you know, we all sing a song. Sometimes our songs are a little dark. Sometimes our songs are a little complainy, whiny, but oftentimes our songs are songs of praise to God, and they're intended to get others to sing along with us. It's contagious, isn't it? I don't know if it's the case in your home, but the first one to start humming or whistling or singing a song, it's just the way we are. We just sort of start humming and singing that song, no matter how crazy it may be. Last Monday, it was Kookaburra. No one knows that song, right? Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree. Raise your hand if you know the Kookaburra song. Thank you. I said that to somebody. They asked me, Kookaburra song? We were watching our four grandchildren. And all day long, I'm singing Kookaburra sits on the old gum tree. You got it? That, yeah, I'm not going to sing it. No, no, Maite, I'm not. My singing career is over. All right, but here's the point. We, we laugh about that, right? But isn't it true? You start singing a song, your spouse, your roommate, your neighbor starts singing it. If the song is to the Lord, people start singing it. If the song is about ourselves and how much we're not happy, they start singing. It it sets the tone of our homes. It sets the tone of our church. This message this morning is about God's salvation song and how he intends us to sing it together to him. But before we get into the song, we've got to remember the historical context of this song. It's Isaiah 12. The year is about 735 B.C. The southern kingdom of Judah has a brand new king. His name is King Ahaz, and he's relatively inexperienced. Ahaz is facing a serious problem. There is a serious threat to national security. There are enemies around him who are threatening the kingdom, and he's worried. And he's worried. (laughs) As I am right now. Thank you. And in Isaiah chapters 7 and 8, God sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz with a message. And here's God's message to Ahaz. Put aside your fears, King Ahaz. 
Trust in me, trust in God, for I am greater than these enemies around you who are threatening your kingdom, and I am trustworthy. Sadly, Ahaz does not believe God, and hence he does not trust God, but rather he trusts in himself to make alliances with kingdoms around him to protect him from these enemies. And he makes this evil alliance with Assyria, which is a pagan, idolatrous, corrupt nation. And as a result, King Ahaz leads Israel, leads Judah down a pathway of idolatry and eventually destruction. But God in his mercy, preserved a remnant, a faithful remnant of believers. And it was to this remnant that Isaiah shares this song of salvation. It is a song sung by those who trust in God. In whom do you trust? And what song are you singing? My prayer is that through this message, through chapter 12 of Isaiah, we would learn or perhaps remember again the words of salvation song and that we would sing it not just alone, but we'd sing it corporately together. For this is the song that the believers, God's faithful believers have sung down through the ages. So let's let's read it. Isaiah chapter 12. And let me just encourage you right now. Open your Bibles. Look at this text. This is God's word. These are the words of life. This is salvation's song. If you've never heard it before, I pray you would learn it by the Holy Spirit. If you've known it in the past, but you've stopped singing it, I pray that it would come again afresh and anew to you. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to, the, to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Do you recognize this song, church? Do you know the words? Can you sing it? See, God put this song of gratitude, this song of salvation in Isaiah's mouth, and he sends him to teach this song to the faithful believers who trust in God. It is salvation song. And God teaches us this salvation song this morning that has been sung through the ages by his people, and he calls us to sing it together, declaring who he is and what he has done. In fact, that's the main point of this message and this text. Sing salvation's song declaring who God is and what he has done. Sing salvation's song declaring who God is and what he has done. 
point one, salvation's song. Sing salvation's song. Chapter 12 is a prophetic look at the day that God's people trust God and sing salvation's song. Even though Israel had refused to trust God, and as a result, God had judged their sin, his judgment would ultimately not destroy them, but purify them, so that they might one day trust in him and sing salvation's song. You see, the reason Israel did not trust in God is that their focus was not on God, but on themselves and their need. They made the meeting of their needs in their time. At this point, it was for security from enemies that were right at their borders. They made their need their priority rather than God their priority. And so when when they made the meeting of their needs priority, they viewed God not as their Lord, but as their servant. And instead of worshiping God, they tried to manipulate God to get what they needed from him. When we fail to make God the priority, but rather getting our needs met, no matter how legitimate they are, security, love, respect, financial security, when we make that our focus and we cease making God our focus, then what's going to happen to us is we're going to be tempted to not trust God. We're going to make ourselves the center of our universe, my need. And then we're going to be tempted to view God as our servant whom we can manipulate to get our needs met. That's called idolatry. And all of us are susceptible to that, just as Israel was susceptible to that. And the end of that is destruction. The end of that is sadness and brokenness. Thank God he does not leave us there Thank God that he promises us a better day. When you look at verse 1, it speaks of that better day. The phrase, in that day, look at it. You will say, in that day, is pointing to this better day. Not a day to be dreaded, the day of judgment that is to come for Israel and their sin and their idolatry. But a better day. A day when Israel will trust God and will sing this song of salvation. It's actually the day that Isaiah prophesied back in chapter 11. Kyle read some of it during our first prayer here in the church service. I preached about it last week. It's this day when God's people, when God would set his people free from the very chains they formed through their idolatry and through their sin and through their lack of trust in God. Here's what's amazing. Because he's gracious, God will set you free from the very chains that you formed for yourself. I love what Oswald said in his commentary on the screen. Although God is under no external obligation to do so, he will deliver them, Israel, from the chains which their own hands have forged. Church, this is the day of salvation for us as Christians When God sets us free from the chains that we have forged. Maybe you're sitting right now and you're bound by those chains. I don't know. Maybe you are experiencing bondage from chains that you have forged. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel in this text in Isaiah. God will set you free from those chains. So that you might sing salvation song. 
No matter how strong you think those chains are in your marriage, in your own personal purity, in your finances, maybe in your work, God is committed to himself and he promises to set us free. He promises to fill our mouths with this salvation song because it's a song of thanksgiving for the amazing fact that though we deserve God's anger, he turns his anger away from us and he comforts us. Look at verse one. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. This song of salvation is a song of thanksgiving. Why? For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Why do we sing salvation song? Because God, who is the Holy One of Israel, God, who is the one that no one can fight against and win, God, who controls all things, is angry with us. And it's a righteous anger because we've thumbed our nose at him. We've said, I will trust myself, thank you. Or at the very worst is, we've so We've so not taken him into account that we think he's a heavenly butler, some a heavenly bellboy, a heavenly messenger. We think he's like Amazon. We just go online, click what we want. Two days later, it gets there. And we deserve his wrath. But instead, he turns his anger away and he comforts us. He saves us. Now, here's the question you should be asking. It's the same question that Isaiah asked in Isaiah 6. How in the world can God turn his anger away from me when I know that I have unclean lips and I know I live amongst people with an unclean lips? How can God do this? How can he remain just and still justify those who are unjust? How can God be right in his anger against me? He's a righteous judge. He has to judge this. It's cosmic treason. It is right for him to judge it, just like it is right for an earthly judge to judge a murderer. If he didn't, we'd say that would be an unjust judge. How can God do that? How can he turn his anger away from me and give me salvation? Friends, it's the question you ask yourself. It's called a guilty conscience. You know you've done things wrong. You stand there and, and, and your conscience, unless it's seared, or you just walk around high all the time, or you binge watch Netflix, eventually you've got to turn Netflix off. And eventually the high wears away. And the stimulus of whatever it is you're using, and you got to, usually it's at night and you're laying in bed and your conscience is just nailing you. How can holy God even put up with me. Here's the answer. Somebody has to come in and take the just wrath of God that we deserve, and that somebody is the suffering servant that Isaiah is going to talk to us about in Isaiah 53. We're going to preach that right around Easter. Somebody's got to step in and take the punishment so that God can somehow turn his anger away and comfort us. Isaiah thought he was dead. He was on the floor. And suddenly here comes that seraphim with the burning coal from the altar to touch his lips. And here Isaiah is saying there'll come a day when God turns his anger away and he gives us his comfort and he gives us his salvation. And here's the deal. That day came... That day was manifested, the day that Isaiah prophesies about this redeemer king, this suffering servant, the one that Isaiah is all about, who makes this day possible, is Jesus Christ. That's the deal, guys. From beginning to end, 
Who's going to come and right the wrong of sin that happened with Adam and Eve at the beginning of this Bible when we all deserve death? There is a seed of the woman, and Abraham was told there's a seed from your body that's going to come and bless the nations. And Isaiah is going to talk about how in the world can God turn his anger away from us and give us comfort. And there's going to be this prophecy of a suffering servant at the end of Isaiah. And then Jesus is born about 700 years later. And when he's 33 years old, he is going to make it possible for God to turn his anger away from his people and comfort his people. And that is why we sing. This is the doctrine of substitutionary, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. This is literally where the gospel sings in Isaiah. May it sing in our hearts. And to help you sing it, Let's review it. Let's review the Apostle Paul writing over 700 years later. I'm convinced Paul, who's reading and thinking about Isaiah 12, he's thinking about Isaiah 53. Paul in Romans 3, writing one of the most clear, concise pictures of how God can turn his anger away from you to comfort you. Listen, you want to know how God can turn his anger away from you and that sin right now that you're thinking about? Listen, I got tons I'm thinking about right now. And how he can can not only put up with you, but love you and embrace you, it's this. On the screen, Romans 3. This is the main chorus of our salvation song. Paul writing, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Of course, Paul's thinking about Isaiah bearing witness to it in Isaiah 12. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. I love the way Paul goes here. He starts where God started with Isaiah. Oh, woe is me. Right? Isaiah 6. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But now verse 25 is key. This is a key verse. you got to learn this one. Just like Ivan began with the chorus of that new song that he sang. This is the chorus. This is what's called substitutionary atonement of Christ. Verse 25. The atonement of Christ for you and me if you're a Christian. Whom God, speaking of Christ, put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. A propitiation, that fancy word, is simply, if you are angry with me, if I've wronged you, to propitiate your anger, somebody has to pay for what I did to you. Someone has to reimburse you and actually give you more than that so that you are no longer angry at me, but you're happy with me. If I stole a thousand, someone returns the thousand, someone is judged as guilty, and then someone gives you 10,000 saying, we're sorry. And suddenly your wrath has turned into, great, just don't do it again. That's propitiation. And when God is angry at us and it's a just anger and we deserve it, who's going to propitiate that? God. Only God can propitiate God's anger. That's what Isaiah is talking about here. That's the basis of this salvation song. You were angry with me. Look at it again in verse 1 of Isaiah 12. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. That's this. That's this. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. But what about justice, God? How can you you justify the unjust and remain just? 
How can you let the murderer go free and still remain a just judge? Verse 26 of Romans 3. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. He fulfills, he, justice is served, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So Jesus takes the wrath. I get the favor. And you know what's amazing about this? God didn't have to do it. He did not have to do it. Why wasn't he just done with Israel? They had disobeyed him. They had mocked him. They had trusted Assyrian pagan gods. They had gone against God. And God said, I do it because I'm faithful to my word. Because I said, through you, through you, I'm going to shine forth my glories. Even a scoundrel like you. I'm pointing four fingers back at me. Okay, so. Praise God. And if that doesn't get you singing, then you don't understand the gospel. Because you are flat out guilty, no chance. You're going to jail. Forget jail. You're getting the injection, whatever it is they do these days. Heads coming off, whatever it is. You're a goner. Wow. Wow. And what's even more unbelievable here is that God is our salvation. Look, look at verse um, 2-1. Behold, God is my salvation. God's my salvation. God doesn't just give me salvation, church. God becomes my salvation. Look at the end of verse 2. And he has become my salvation. See, this is where grace just goes crazy here. Though he didn't have to do it, God said, I will be your salvation. It's not like God just stepped into the courtroom and said, here, let me pay for that murder that you committed. Let me pay for that fraud you committed. No, God said, kill me. Oh, sing, church. Can you sing about that? God is your salvation. Why would he do that? For a good man, someone would die. But why for sinners? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. He is my salvation. It's amazing truth. See, this is the point God was trying to make to Israel back then. Ahaz, I am your salvation. Salvation is only found in God. But Ahaz said, no way. I'm going to go make a, 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 a covenant with the Assyrians. And see, Israel didn't get it in Isaiah's time. But Isaiah's prophesying here in chapter 12 of a day when they will get it. And we're the Israel of God today. We're the believers today. A day when God's people will get it and they will sing. Do you get it? Are you singing? There's no salvation outside of God. Not in your bank account. Not in your relationships. Not in your gifts. Not in your contacts. Not in your networks. Not in your political party. Not in your school. Not in your profession. Not in your health. Thank God for all of those if God has blessed you with those things. But salvation is in God alone. Do we get it? Do we sing? And so verse 2 not only tells us that God is our salvation. Verse 2 gives us a picture of what those who are saved, how they live. Look at it there. I will trust. See that in verse 2? So you can think about Ahaz. Instead of trusting in myself or in Assyria against those enemies all around me, I will trust in the Lord and will not be afraid. 
My confidence is in God. My strength, for the Lord God is my strength. I think that just talks about the objective mark of salvation on those of us who are saved. It's a durability in the face of life's trials and tribulations. And he is my song. That's the subjective mark. If all of that is true, if I trust in God, he is my strength, then I'm going to sing about it. I'm going to sing about it. In whom do you trust, church? I'm speaking to myself. In whom do we have confidence? Where is our strength in the face of life's trials? And what is the song? Here's the big one. What's the song we're singing every day? Forget about what song's on the station. What's the song you're humming in your heart every day that others are listening to and they're going to sing along with even unconsciously sometimes? God's people have always sung to God the salvation song when he executes a particular evidence of salvation. No time to go there, but this afternoon, read it for yourself. Read about Moses' song. The song of Moses. It's in Exodus 15 when God delivered Israel from the Egyptian army way back in 1400 BC. And it's sung again in Revelation 15 when God's saints are around the throne. It's amazing. Moses' song. We corporately sing. We are God's worship team. I mean, Ivan led us this morning. Thank you, Ivan, Roxanne, David, Marcos. But we're all God's worship team. You understand that? Worship's a corporate deal. We need some help. We need some rhythms. We need some tracks. We need some voices. But we're God's worship team. And he means for us to worship him together and spend our days singing to him. To spend every day singing to him, even when that, on that day, it rains trouble. We sing together to declare who God is and what he has done, point two. Declare who God is and what he has done. In verses three to six, there is a shift grammatically. In verses one and two, it's mostly first, it's mostly singular. I, you, singular. Verses three through six, the Hebrew shifts to plural. We, you. If you're from the South, you all. If you're from where I grew up, you guys. If you're from New York City, you guys. So there's a shift. See, what's happening is, look at verse three. If you've drunk from the well, if you've drawn from the water from the well of salvation, then here is God's command, indicative. He saved you. He turned his wrath away from you, not because of anything you did, but because of what Christ did. Thank you, Corey, for reminding us that our lives are not defined by what we do or don't do. They're defined by the one who's called us and what Christ has done. If that is true about you, if you've drawn from the waters of salvation, if you haven't, I pray God would, would open your mouth this morning and he would show you how sweet and beautiful and delicious they are. Once you've done that, then you're going to do this. Here comes the imperative. Verses three through six are what God's calling us to do. We're to to declare who God is and what he has done. And it starts, this song, the first verse is thanksgiving. Look at verse four. And you will say in that day, notice the repetition of that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Here's what I found. Those who are trusting in God will sing or hum or whistle or tap out the tune of a song of thanksgiving. 
Those who are not trusting God for whatever need it is you're thinking of right now will sing or hum or tap out a song of grumbling. It's inevitable. We're made to worship. We're going to worship something always. We are worshipers, period. The question is, will you worship yourself and your own need and live solely on based on whether that need is being met or not? Or will you worship God and thank him that he's met your greatest need? So therefore, even though it looks like none of my needs are being met, nothing is going the way I want it to go. My greatest need, God has turned his anger away from you and he's comforted you and given you life. If that's the case, then our song is a song of thanksgiving. Listen, it could also be a song of grieving. You understand that? The Psalms are filled with songs of grief. It's okay to do that when you're suffering, but it's a song of thanksgiving. And there's no greater example of that than this week than my sister Elsa. On Wednesday night, we're at group. We're getting texts from Elsa and from Sergio. Hey, pray for us. Why? Elsa's father is lying gravely ill in the Palmetto Hospital. Elsa's sister is lying ill in Miramar Hospital. And Elsa's daughter is lying ill in an urgent care. I'd say it was raining troubles that night, Elsa. And I got this text from from dear Elsa. Listen to this verse. By the way, we all write new verses to this song. It's based on the same thing. Our lives add to the symphony of this song. Listen to what she wrote. How about this verse? Quote, I literally went, this is Wednesday night, I literally went from Miramar Hospital last night to Palmetto Hospital where Dad is. The Lord reminded me how we are only here temporarily. He showed me his big, beautiful moon. It was a big, beautiful moon that night, I remember. His creation and how big he is in my life. Such peace while driving. Thank you all for your prayers. I am thankful for the saints, his people, his church. The the world hears that song and says, what in the world is wrong with you, man? doesn't mean she doesn't grieve, and she has, and she's, she's shed many tears, and that's appropriate. But thanksgiving is part, is one of the verses in that song. Some of the verses are grief and wondering, Lord, what are you doing? But there's thanksgiving. Next, in verse 4, call upon his name. That song is to be declaring who God is. When it says call upon his name, what that says is tell everybody who God is. Your name in the Bible is who you are. It's your character. So call upon his name. Tell the world who God is. Then verse 4, make known his deeds among the peoples. What are we doing here in verse 4? We're, we're singing the song, and this is, these are the verses in the song. This is sort of the, the general uh, outline of the song. Thanksgiving, calling upon his name, who God is, and then telling people what he's done. Tell of his deeds among the people. You see that in verse 4? Make known his deeds among the peoples. We're simply telling them what he's done. This is the gospel. Why can Elsa rejoice? Because she is trusting God that Vicente Gonzalez heard the gospel and has responded to the gospel. And I was there. And and her trust is in the gospel that God has vindicated and defeated the enemy on the cross so that he will be with the Lord, though he's suffering horribly and can barely breathe right now. Because he worked all his life with with, uh, asbestos and he worked all his life with plastics repairing cars and his lungs are just shot. But one day he's going to see the Lord. That's the gospel. He couldn't do that for himself. I can't do that for him. She can't do that for him. God's done that for him. 
And then finally in verse 4, proclaim that his name is exalted. I love this one. This one's the best one. They're all good. Strike that last comment. They're all good. Okay. Far be it from me to tell God which one's the best one. This was good. Because what we're doing is we're not trying to exalt Jesus' name as if we were some, some person or a group of people stuck in some cubicles in Silicon Valley trying to come up with some algorithms that make it look like something is, is uh, trending on Twitter. You know, that's how it happens, right? You, you get that, right? No, God is the algorithm. He is exalted. He doesn't depend on his name coming out in a 1,000 Twitter tweets or 4,000 Facebook posts or whatever in the world it's going to be down the road or it was back in the back time. He is exalted, and all we're doing is saying he is exalted. I'm telling you he's exalted. I'm telling you that there'll come a day when every knee will bow at the name of Jesus, either willingly or unwillingly. Every knee on heaven, on earth, underneath the earth, Jesus is Lord. I'm just saying what's true. I'm not getting crazy about it. I'm a little crazy right now, but I'm going to try to calm down. I'm just saying it calmly to you. His name is exalted. I don't have to gin that up. I don't have to make that happen. I don't have to hire a marketing firm to have 10,000, you know, whatever's pretend like they like something. I wish I could say it nicer like you can, Ivan, but I don't understand that world yet. You've explained it to me 15 times, but he is exalted. And then verse five just goes back over the same verse like we did today. You know, you sing the same verse. Sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. The way we make it known is our song. You understand that our song is more than just what we sing. It's how we live. Because if we sing one thing and live something else, there's dissonance. It's like hitting the wrong note. That wasn't right. Verse 6. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Again, in the Hebrew... The one to whom it has been said, shout, is feminine. Chapter 1, the one to whom is being spoken is masculine. In the Hebrew, in verse 6, it's feminine. And you know why? I believe this. Now, this is, you know, I'm not saying this is conjecture on my part. I think God is wanting to remind Israel then in 735 B.C. of what happened in 1400 B.C. And he's wanting to remind us this. Because I think that this shout and sing for joy feminine is pointing back to Miriam at the Red Sea. Because I think that Isaiah actually borrows a couple of lines from Miriam's salvation song. Well, well, let's look at it on the screen. Exodus 15. Let me remind you, 1400 BC, 2 million people walking out of Egypt. They have nothing. They're poor. They've been slaves for 400 years. Maybe they have a stick, a couple of rocks. Suddenly, Pharaoh goes, wait a second, how did I let these people go? He starts chasing them with the most modern, well-equipped army on earth at that day. The tanks, the aircraft, the, the, the Apache attack helicopters are coming after these people. There's a bunch of children and women and men, and they're walking. And God says, trust me, I'm going to deliver you. 
and they come to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. Israel walks through it. His, his cloud and his, and his light and his angels are stopping the Egyptian army. And then once Israel gets on the other side of the Red Sea, he lets the Egyptians go and they see them and they go, okay, we're going to kill them. And they get right in the middle of it and God takes the waters and wipes out the greatest army on earth. And then, guess what happens? Israel sings a song. Here's the song, Exodus 15, another song, 19 to 21. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. I love this. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. I just see it in my mind's eye. And that's one of those instant, that's one of those replays we're going to be seeing forever and ever and ever. You talk about Sports Center highlights. I mean, this highlight is the highlight of highlights. I'm going to be screaming at that one. Verse 21 And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Go back to verse 5. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. I believe Isaiah is borrowing from that language. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea. We shout and we sing as a community because God has triumphed gloriously over Satan. Pharaoh was a picture of Satan over the world and over that system. God has triumphed over them gloriously on the cross of Christ. There, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. And set us free from sin and death. And when he rose from the dead, gave us hope that the believer will be born, will, will live forever and ever with the Lord. This is why we sing. Because the Holy One of Israel is in our midst. Why would the Holy One of Israel be in our midst? We don't deserve it. But he is. Because he's made us right. Because he's cleansed us. He's taken away his anger and given us his comfort. But he reminds us, church, that he's the Holy One of Israel. We can't manipulate him. You can't play God in both senses of that word. Play God like I want to play God or play God like try to get over on God. You can't manipulate him. You can't give enough, do enough, say enough. That's what they were trying to do. Sacrifice enough bulls in their time or goats or whatever they did. You can't do enough good deeds. Christ has done it. And so we bow our knee to him and say, Lord, I trust you. Even though my need may, may, may remain unmet right now, you've met my greatest need, the, the need I'm thinking of. You've met my greatest need. And so we worship him and we sing to him. And it's because he is merciful that he makes this day, that day possible. Christian, we need to sing this song because if not, we subtly get our focus off of God and onto our need, and we make our need God. Singing this song keeps us focused on the Lord. That's what he was saying to Israel. We need to sing this song, and non-Christian, if you've never sung this song, then I pray that you would repent and believe in Jesus, that you would come to God on his terms, not yours. Let us sing to the Lord a new song. Let us do it together. Let us manifest God's character, who he is, and God's saving deeds, what he's done in the practical areas of our lives, when things are going well, when it's raining trouble. And as we corporately sing out loudly, loudly so that the world hears it and sees it, we, we will be in effect preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ 
who is the Holy One in our midst. Let us pray. Worship team, would you please join me? Father, I pray that you would please give us grace this morning, a morning where each one of us is facing our own temptations to trust in ourselves, to trust in what we can do. We're tempted to try to manipulate you. Um, Maybe some are tempted to think that there's no hope for them. Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit out upon us right now, that we would sing together salvation's song, that we would declare death has been arrested. We would declare what you have done. We would declare it to you, to all the spiritual forces that are listening. We declare it to one another. And that, Lord, this declaration wouldn't just be with our words, but with our lives when we drive out today. No matter what happens, good day, bad day, happy day, sad day, sunny day, rainy day. Glorious day of triumph, tragic day of of unexpected reversals. When we get the news we don't want to hear, when we get the news we want to hear, Lord, both, it's important in both, we just say, thanks be to God, you have met my greatest need. Your anger has been turned from me. You've given me your comfort and your salvation. No, God, if there's any here this morning that have not repented and believed, would you give them that gift, even as we sing again the gospel in this song? Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.